Today we'll be looking at the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. Um, so I would encourage you to turn there in, in your Bibles, and uh, it'll also be up here on the screen. Uh, the passage reminds us that life is short, so we should serve Christ with all the um, years, days, hours that we have left. So I'm going to go ahead and read <clears throat> from God's Word, Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant! You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest." So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Um, please allow me to pray. God, I do ask that you would speak through me as I share your word, open up your word today. Thank you for the privilege and honor of um, worshiping you with these awesome people. Lord, I pray that as we look into your word that you would encourage us and call people to yourself and um, strengthen us in our service of you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you agree with Matt? That question was everywhere at uh, Purdue University my freshman year. It was written on chalkboards in every room. It was written in chalk on the sidewalks all over campus. It was on every notice board. It was, it was everywhere. It was on banners in front of buildings. I was mildly curious who Matt was and what he thought, but I can't say it went really beyond a, a mild curiosity. The next week, hundreds of students all over campus wore bright green t-shirts that said, I agree with Matt. 
And in the school newspaper, there, were, there was a, a whole page ad saying what it was that Matt thought or believed, which was the Christian message, that God had made people for a relationship with himself, that people have turned away from God, and that God had sent Jesus to save people and reconcile people to himself. Uh, I was an atheist at the time, so I, I can't say that I really cared. I, I thought it was all vaguely interesting and went about my business. About a month later, I became a Christian at a, a Campus Crusade for Christ Bible study in my dorm. And uh, as I started hanging out with these Campus Crusade friends, I met Matt. Uh, I met Matt Cahill. Um, he's a cool guy. And um, I just I, um, learned that this was all an outreach that had been run by crew. A couple of months after that, Matt died. Um, all my new Campus Crusade friends and I were over at um, an apartment playing cards. One of our friends burst into the room and, uh, and just said, Matt was... Um, going home to see his parents. He lost control of his car on an icy road, spun out, went directly into the path of a semi, died on impact. And uh, the whole room just shock, grief, sobbing. One girl just vomited everywhere out of just shock and grief. Um, terrible, terrible moment. Uh, the next week, I went on a road trip with these friends to Matt's funeral. And uh, on that road trip, there was a lot of reminiscing about Matt and what he was like and, and how he had served Jesus with, with his life. And uh, I'd only been a Christian for a couple of months at this point, so this was an extremely formative experience for me. It really sunk into me that life is short. You really never know how, how much time you have left. And it really sunk into me that Matt had, um, had served Jesus with, with his time, that one of the last things he did was share the Christian message with hundreds of students, maybe thousands, at Purdue University. And then God brought him home. Life is, is short, so serve Jesus. And I, I do think that we see that in today's passage. Um, in this parable, Jesus describes a master who goes away on a long journey and that master obviously represents Jesus. Jesus knew that he was soon going to die on the cross, raised from the dead, and ascend into heaven. And he is still um, physically away until, um, until he returns one day to restore all things. Uh, the servants in this parable obviously represent Jesus' followers. So this parable is showing us that we should serve Jesus as well as we can during this time that he is away. And we will see him soon. I mean, this example of Matt just reminds us, you never know how long you have left. Uh, it, it could be today. It could be a long time from now. We never know. Um, I think people who have lived longer than I have uh, frequently said that in retrospect, the time moves really quickly anyway. Um, and Jesus could return at any time to, to consummate history and to restore all things. So we will see him soon. And, and the question is simply, are we serving Jesus as well as we can with the years and days and hours that he has given us? What is the best use of your life in service to Jesus' kingdom in the time that you have? Life is short, so serve Jesus. So first, we should consider his desires. 
In this parable, um, the master, obviously um, Jesus himself, um, calls his servants to him and entrusts to them his property. Um, He gave out talents, five to one servant, two to another, and one to another. And you may know that in that culture, a talent was a unit of currency, like a dollar or a quarter or a dime. Um, But it was a very large unit of currency. Um, It was equivalent to 6,000 denarii. And a denarius is what a worker would earn in one day of work. So, um, I don't know, maybe $200 in our uh, money. And then um, a a talent was 6,000 times that. So maybe $1.2 million. Uh, So he entrusted to his servants $1.2 million, $2.4 million, and $6 million. And then the servants showed that they knew what it was that they were supposed to do with it, because two immediately went about increasing the assets that had been entrusted to them. And then uh, we also just see that from the third servant's response to the master, that he knew what he had been supposed to have done, because he doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you wanted me to do something. He, he starts giving excuses. So they, they knew what it was that, that their master desired for them to do. So I think as we just consider how do we serve our master in the time that he is away, um, I think we just start by asking, well, what are his desires? What what does he want? So the Bible has a lot to say about that. Very generally, we should love God and love people. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We should live for God's kingdom instead of for our own kingdom, instead of for our own comfort or financial security or success. Uh, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The cultural mandate shows that we should honor God in the areas of um, all kinds of work and family. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then uh, the world fell into sin. People fell away from God and um, Jesus gave the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And in the details of our lives, God tells us to seek wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He says to seek wise counsel from others. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And he tells us to ask him for wisdom. Oops, got one ahead. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And the better we know God's word, the better we will know his mind, and the better we will know um, what it is we should be using our time for on this earth. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." So what is the best use of your life for Christ's kingdom? I think that's where we start. I don't, I don't think we um, first ask, are there any minor modifications I need to make? Or is there any way to justify biblically what I'm already doing? Because there's always a way to justify everything. Um, first, we, we ask ourselves, um, what would you like me to be doing? 
uh, put everything on the table, where you live, what you do professionally, um, everything on the table, and ask, ask yourself, ask him, what, what would the king have me do in the time that I have left? I think that we should ask ourselves that regularly, and especially at key moments, like when you're about to graduate high school, when you're about to graduate college, um, when you're um, deciding who to marry or where to live, when your kids are young and can handle a big transition, when your kids are out of the house, uh, when you retire, uh, just at, at key moments in life, I think we should especially ask ourselves, God, what would you have me do with, with my remaining time for your kingdom? So my wife and I have been asking ourselves these questions over the last few years, and here are a few things that stand out to us. Um, first, most people in the world don't love and trust Jesus. And I, I do think that that is the main issue for the third servant in this uh, parable. The first two servants loved and trusted their master, and so they served him faithfully without worrying what it was they were going to get out of it. The uh, third servant did not love and trust his master. And he tried to blame it on his master. Um, he tried to say, like, um, you're, you're a jerk. That's why I, um, I'm afraid. I don't, I don't want to do anything because uh, you're a jerk. But then, uh, oh, he said, the master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. But the master's reply to him shows that that wasn't the whole truth. Because if that were true, if, if the servant was genuinely afraid of the master, then uh, the least risky route was to put the money with a banker, because then um, the money wouldn't be lost, and um, the master would have his, his money back with interest. Uh, but that's not what he did. He hid it in the ground. Um, so what this actually shows is a lack of love and trust for the master. He doesn't love the master. He resents him. Maybe he, maybe he resents the fact that he is a servant and the master is the master. Maybe he resents the fact that he was entrusted with the smallest amount and the other servants were entrusted with more. He doesn't trust the master to take care of him, um, so he takes matters into his own, hand, um, his own hands to try to take care of himself. Uh, maybe he thinks that the situation is unfair. Uh, if he does well with the money, he won't get anything out of it. If he does poorly with the money, he's going to be the, the one who has to answer for it. But regardless, um, overall, he is being resentful and selfish, and he has no love and trust for his master. And most people in the world are the same. Um, most people in the world do not love and trust Jesus. There, I think there are 7.7 billion people in the world, and 2.4 billion people identify as Christian in some sense, and we know that uh, not everyone who identifies as Christian actually is. Um, so at least uh, 5.3 billion people in the world don't um, identify as Christian in any way. And of those, 1.8 billion of them identify as Muslims. Muslims see Jesus as a prophet, but they don't trust in him as their savior and Lord. Uh, a Muslim friend of mine uh, described his relationship with God literally as a set of scales. Uh, he said that he's hoping that his good will outweigh his bad. But that's um, sad for, uh, for me because uh, we know that everything, everything we do would actually be on the bad side of the scale. Um, everything we do is tainted by our own sin and selfishness. So that's just a, such a, a hopeless um, path. Uh, 
Jesus is the only way to, um, to God. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So we love our Muslim friends, but Muslims do not love Jesus as the Son of God, and they do not trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Also, it stands out to us, the consequences of not loving and trusting Jesus are disastrous. In this passage, the, the third servant isn't just fired. He goes to hell. Verse 30, And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, hell is eternal punishment. This, Jesus finishes this section in Matthew 25, 46. He says, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Hell is just as eternal as heaven is. And hell isn't just passively being away from God's presence. Hell is God's active punishment for sin, which never ends. All people, including me, have sinned against an infinite God by an infinite amount. And um, praise God, he sent his infinite son to die to, to pay for our infinite debt. Um, but if we don't trust in him, the alternative is to pay off an infinite debt ourselves, which of course never ends. Sometimes hell is described as a lake of fire, and here it's described as outer darkness. I think those are contradictory images, which tells me these are images um, to help us understand what it's like. So hell is like being burned to death forever. Hell is like being in complete darkness forever, away from everything good. Hell is like having your body eaten by worms which never, which never finish. They're always eating you. Hell is so bad that it leads to an eternity of weeping, of misery so deep that people gnash their teeth in pain and regret forever. Hell is so bad, I don't know about you, I just have to block it out. I can't go through my daily life with um, just constantly thinking about the horrors of hell. It's so bad we just block it out in order to um, carry on. But hell is real, and the consequences of not loving and trusting Jesus are disastrous. Third, the, the blessings of loving and trusting Jesus are glorious. So since the consequences for the third servant were hell, um, the blessings for the first two servants must be heaven. Um, at, our, at our deaths, or when Jesus returns, we are welcomed into his joy. Verse 21 says, enter into the joy of your master. But again, for the 1.8 billion Muslims in the world, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Uh, missionaries need to go. Missionaries need to go and share the good news of what Christ has done for people. Um, missionaries need to go and plant churches where there are none until there are enough believers that God can use believers from these areas to reach their own people for Christ. So I don't know if you should be a missionary. I think you should think about it. Uh, I don't know if it'd be wise for you or unwise but I do know that some people should become missionaries to the Muslim world, and I believe that we should be part of sending those that, that God has called. 
And I, I think in general that all of us should just continually ask ourselves that question, what is the best use of my remaining time for Christ's kingdom? Consider his desires. What is it he wants us to be doing? And then after we've considered his desires, we should consider our approach to meeting his desires. In, in this parable, the servants knew generally what their master wanted them to do because they set out doing it. Uh, but it doesn't seem that he gave them specifics, like you literally go and do this. Uh, he gave them general, um, this is generally the kind of thing I'd like you to do. You figure out the specifics. No, no money changer or banker would have um, given 100% interest, which is what they got. They doubled their money. So um, they must not just have invested the money. They must have started some kind of business, maybe um, bought a farm and worked the farm or bought livestock or, uh, they, or set up as a merchant or something like that. They, they, um, they had to think, you know, what, uh, what opportunities are there around me? What am I likely to be good at of those opportunities? And then they had to think through a plan, like, okay, here's how I'm actually going to go about it, my business plan. And then they had to do it. And they had to do it with all of their creativity and energy and diligence. Um, and they had to, to work at it with, um, with all their hearts. So in, I think in the same way, Scripture tells us generally what Jesus would like us to be doing while he is away. And so I think we need to take stock of the talents that he has given us. Um, so, you know, I think it's somewhat confusing that the word talent is actually, um, it's a unit of currency, but in our language, it's like a natural ability. But Jesus is using a very general term here, money, um, to basically signify everything about you. Um, where you were born, what kind of family you were born into, what opportunities you had, um, what kind of health or um, health struggles you may have had, what kind of education and experiences you had, what language you speak, whether you grew up in peace or war, uh, what country you grew up in, and, um, and then on, on down the line, what, what you learned, uh, what you knew about God and when, uh, what kind of spiritual gifts he's given you, what are your interests and passions, what... Um, what are, your, what are you not so good at? <laughs> um, I think uh, we're supposed to take stock of our talents. And then, um, having thought through what does Jesus want people to do generally, and who am I, then we're supposed to, in the same kind of way, come up with some kind of a plan, uh, to your plan for how you're going to serve the king. And then work at it with all that you've got, all of your diligence and creativity and energy and ultimately trusting in Christ himself who says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, I'm here to help you in this, in this mission. So to simplify all that, I tell the teens in our church, understand who God is, know his word, understand who he is and what he's up to in the world. Understand who you are, who he's made you to be with all your strengths and weaknesses and likes and dislikes. Then try to find a good fit between those two things and aiming for the best fit. And then once you've found a pretty decent fit, then work at it with all you've got. So um, I, I think in the same way, uh, I think we should all be doing that all the time, considering um, how, how to serve the king. And my, uh, my wife and I, again, have been thinking this through for ourselves over the last few years. And, um, and some things stand out to us. It stands out to us that, on average, 147,000 people die every day around the world. 
And with a world population of 7.7 .7 billion and 1.8 billion of them being Muslims, that means that every day, and I say this sadly, 34,000 Muslims die and go to hell every day. That is roughly equivalent to the population of my hometown um, dying and going to hell every day. Another thing to consider is where missionaries are currently going. So 96% of missionaries go to places that could already be considered reached with the gospel, which means that more than 5% of the population already identifies as Christian. Um, they're, they're considered reached because that's considered to be enough Christians or churches that, um, that God can use them to reach their own culture for Christ. 3% of missionaries go to unreached areas where between 5% and 0.1% of people consider themselves to be Christians. So there are Christians, there are churches, but um, not enough that they're probably able to reach their own culture for Christ without outside assistance. 1% of missionaries go to the least reached people groups where less than 0.1% of the population consider themselves Christians. And this last group of least reached people groups is uh, 1.94 billion people, or about a fourth of the entire world population. So 1% of missionaries are going to the one-fourth of the world where less than 0.1% of people consider themselves to be Christians. One other thing to, that has um, stood out to us or that I would ask you to consider is that um, MTW, is current Mission to the World, our, our denomination's mission agency, currently has about 90 missionaries targeting the Muslim world. So 90 missionaries for 1.8 billion people. And uh, of those 90 missionaries, 16 of them are over the age of 60 and will probably retire at some point soon. So, um, and, and in general, mission agencies have, have said that it is harder um, now, uh, currently, to, to find good missionary candidates and that the younger generations just seem overall less interested and um, less committed to being part of accomplishing the Great Commission. So, again, I don't know. I, I think you should ask yourself, what is the best use, um, God, of my remaining time in service to your kingdom? I don't know if you should be a missionary or not. Again, I think you should consider it. Um, but at least we should be praying to, uh, it says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So during this time while the master's away, first consider his desires, then consider your approach to meeting his desires, and then finally consider the outcome. In this parable, Jesus shows us that not serving him leads to misery. The third servant did something while the master was away. Um, he had to fill his time somehow. So maybe he did bad things. Maybe he became a drunk or a violent criminal or something. Um, maybe he did good things. Maybe he uh, focused on family time or um, served his local community. or um, we, don't, we don't know what he did. But all we know is that he didn't do what the master had asked him to do. Because in verse 26, the master says he was slothful. He did something, but everything he did was worthless because it wasn't for the master. And in the same way, um, we all are going to fill our times, or we're going to fill our times somehow. Um, some people do bad things. Most people do good things. 
But the question is, who are you doing it for? Are you doing it for him? Um, because if not, it's worthless. None of it, if it's not done for him, none of it will remain a million years from now. It's like um, trying to build a beautiful sandcastle on the beach when the tide is coming in. Not serving Jesus leads to the misery of wasting your life on meaningless activity. Also, not serving Jesus leads to eternal misery. The third servant wasn't judged primarily because he had been an unproductive servant. He was judged because his refusal to do what the master had asked him to do showed his heart towards his master. It showed that he was resentful and self-centered and didn't um, love and trust his master. It wasn't his slothfulness that made him wicked. It was his wickedness that made him slothful. And that's why his master judged him. So um, in the same way, um, are we living for our kingdom or are we living for Christ's kingdom? And what does that reveal about um, who we love and who we trust? Are we resentful towards uh, the king that he would ask us to focus on his kingdom rather than our kingdom? Um, or do we love and trust him and respond eagerly? Uh, Jesus warns us that uh, if, if someone has no love or trust for the master, that they will be judged. Not serving Jesus leads to the misery of wasting your life on meaningless activity, and it ultimately leads to the misery of judgment. But serving Jesus leads to joy. It, serving Jesus leads to the joy of a meaningful life. Everything the first two servants did mattered because it mattered for their master. And um, that's, that's incredibly joyful for us, that anything that we do in service to Jesus matters because it matters to him. Um, and it matters forever because he is eternal, he's giving us eternal life, and it will matter to him forever. And so it matters forever. Serving Jesus leads to the joy of a meaningful life done in service to him. Serving Jesus leads to the joy of eternal life. Again, um, Jesus tells the, the first two servants, enter into the joy of your master. This shows us that God is a joyful God and his kingdom is a joyful kingdom. And, and because of what Christ has done for us, he's welcoming us into his joyful kingdom. Again, um, it wasn't that their faithful service made them good. It was that um, they loved and trusted their master. That made their hearts toward their master good, which then made them want to serve the master, whether or not they got anything out of it. And because of that, he said, welcome into the joy of your master. So um, in the same way for us, um, as we love and trust Jesus, see that your good king has died for you to bring you into his kingdom. As, as you see his goodness to you, um, that leads you to want to serve him, um, which shows that you are one that he's going to say, um, welcome into the joy of your master. Serving Jesus leads to the joy of eternal life, and serving Jesus leads to the joy of eternal rewards. Uh, these, the first two servants, they're servants. They, didn't, they weren't earning anything by serving their master. They were obligated to do so. But he freely and graciously rewarded them for their faithful service, though he didn't have to. He gave them increased responsibilities in his kingdom. He said, you've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. 
Um, the same is true for us. We're not earning anything through our um, service of Jesus, but Jesus tells us freely and graciously that he will reward us for our faithful service. Um, being faithful over a little, I think, is describing um, us um, serving him in various ways in, in our lives now. And then he tells us, I will set you over much, uh, which means um, increased opportunities to serve him in eternity. I think the rewards are basically intrinsic. Um, for those who enjoy serving Jesus now, the reward is increased opportunities to do so in fellowship with him forever. So serving Jesus leads to the joy of a meaningful life, it leads to the joy of eternal life, and it leads to the joy of eternal rewards. So a question I ask myself, um, if not serving Jesus leads to misery and serving Jesus leads to joy, what does half serving him lead to? Um, I, I, I personally would be interested if Jesus had just included one more servant in the parable who was given 10 talents, but then made like one, two, or five with them. Uh, what would the master have said to him? And on this occasion, that wasn't Jesus's point. That wasn't his, uh, his interest. Instead, he, he charted two trajectories. He said, um, serving, not serving me leads to misery. Serving me leads to joy. So wherever you are in there, go that way. <laughs> um, less time on your sandcastle and more time on my eternal kingdom. So um, basically I'm just saying, let's let the parable do its work. Um, let's repent of our wrong view of the king, which leads us to um, fear and uh, bitterness, wanting to focus on our own kingdom rather than for his. Um, and instead, let's see the goodness of a king who uh, did not have to, but laid down his life to bring you into his eternal kingdom. And as we see the goodness of that king, um, let's serve his eternal kingdom instead of our um, sandcastle. Life is short, so serve Jesus. So this little taped section right here is your life uh, or my life. So this, I, I didn't come up with this. This is Francis Chan, if any of you guys know him. Um, I was born right here. Uh, I'm guessing right around here. I became a Christian at the age of 18 at Purdue University. I met my, my wife a uh, decade or so after that, and we got married right around here. Uh, I'm not sure how much is left, so um, we had our kids, uh, Jojo, Anastasia, John Paul, um, Lord willing, baby number four, sometime over here, and then I don't know how much is left, so um, I don't know if today is here or here or, you know, um, but, but what I do know is that because of what Christ has done for us, that um, when this time happens, we go to be with him. Um, he says, enter into the joy of your master because of what I've done for you. A king laying down his life for his rebellious subjects. And I know that once we've lived in heaven for as long as we lived on earth, we're right here. And that once we've lived twice as long as we've lived on earth, we're right here. And that it goes on and on and on forever and ever and ever and ever because he is the eternal God who um, made us to be with him forever. Um, that is what our king has done for us. 
um, we who are naturally much more interested in our kingdom than we are for his. Um, he knows that. Uh, and yet, he came to save you. He came to save me, to bring us into his eternal kingdom. And so realizing that, just realize this is what you've got to serve him here. And um, so less time on the sandcastle, more time on his eternal kingdom. Ask yourself, what would you have me do? Um, C.T. Studd said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So life is short. So serve Jesus with the time you've got left. Um, let me pray for us. God, again, I'm grateful for these brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm grateful for the opportunity to open your word together. And Lord, I pray that you would give us, um, that you would give us the wisdom to ponder the length of our days and help us to see things clearly from your perspective. And Lord, help us to see the goodness of our King who would lay down your life so that we, your rebellious subjects, who are naturally more interested in our kingdom than in yours, um, that you would bring us into your eternal kingdom. Help us to see the goodness of our king. Help us to see the goodness of your kingdom. And Lord, help us to lay aside uh, the temptations to focus on something that's not going to last. And help us instead to serve you and give us wisdom on how best to do that with the days we have left. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.